I'm going to read uh, this morning from Ephesians, the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation when you believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It's always a bit dangerous to recommend a book, um, but in the light of what we just heard about Somalia, um, there is a, a book I read a, a couple of years ago called A Wind in the House of Islam. I can't remember who the author was, but it's a um, story of some of the remarkable movements of God's spirit in Muslim cultures. Oh, if you're interested, I found it really encouraging. I'd like to begin with a quotation from a politician. I'd like you to be in your heart and mind trying to think who might have said this, which party, which era. There is a vision of the good society, a Britain where we can do better than we are, where we do feel and share the burdens of others, where we do believe in something bigger than ourselves. I wonder what you're thinking. Who might have said that? I try to say it in my best Churchillian voice, but it wasn't Winston Churchill. There is a vision of the good society. It was Gordon Brown who went on to spend about fortnight as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Uh, that was Mr. Gordon Brown's vision of the future some years ago, and the media, when he delivered that speech, were not so much taken up with his vision but with the question of whether Sherry Blair had blown a huge raspberry in his direction 
at a critical moment in the speech. But uh, most of us, I think, appreciate vision. Sometimes call it having a dream. Uh, we look into the future and we imagine something good and great for our family, or for our career, or for our football team. Martin Luther King once famously stated in a watershed speech that he had a dream. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will, will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream. Well, some, some dreams are bigger than others. Um, the dream of owning a Mercedes is slightly smaller than the dream of being prime minister or president of the United States and changing the culture by the uh, exercise of political power. And it hardly needs to be said that our dreams are often unfulfilled and they're not brought to completion because we have neither the power nor the ability very often to make our dreams come true. My childhood dream of playing for Manchester United and England not yet been fulfilled. I'm still hoping, but Sir Alex Ferguson never called me, much to my disappointment. It's little wonder that the stadium of the greatest football club on earth, the Manchester United, it's little wonder that their stadium is called the Theatre of Dreams. Best to Charlton, Charlton to Law, Law to Tyndall. Oh, imagine that. Well, we looked last Sunday morning at Ephesians chapter 1. It's the first chapter in a mighty letter about God's vision for the future of the world. Uh, and in chapter 1, we're introduced to the three persons of the Godhead. Christianity lives around a mystery that there is only one God, but that he exists in three persons. At the heart of all things, there is a family. There is a father, there is a son, and there is a chief steward in the household of God, their father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. No one can explain it to you, but it's a profound mystery. It's the truth that comes out of Scripture. And we're told in this chapter that before the creation of the world, the father did something. He chose a people for himself before the foundation of the world that they should be holy and blameless children in his divine family. We're told that the son did something. He gave himself to the death of the cross and shed his blood so that these children of God might experience forgiveness of sins. And uh, we're also told that the Holy Spirit has something to do, and we're going to be looking at that in a few moments. The father uh, chose the church, the Son died for the church, and the Holy Spirit lives in the church. And you see in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, there's a little insight into God's vision for the future. He's making his dream into a reality in the person of Jesus. In Jesus, everything's going to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, that's God's dream, and that's going to happen at some time in the future. And what God's doing through Jesus and his work, he's restoring the, the world into a place that will be, uh, will reflect beautifully and perfectly his majestic glory. And this, this is the miracle, he's doing it in the first place 
by choosing and redeeming a people for himself who will one day live in this marvelous new world. And so it's called here his purpose, his plan for the fullness of time. That's God's vision. Now, of course, uh, we all live in a messy and complicated world right now. It's hard for us to see that this is even going to, even to think that this is actually happening, that God is actually bringing this into being, even as we sit here in, in Hook on a Sunday morning, because there are wars, there are rumours of wars, there are famines and earthquakes, there are terrorists, there are different religions, there are democracies, there are tyrannies. It's hard to read your paper and watch your TV and say, look, Ephesians chapter 1 is coming true. But here in this letter, and we're sometimes tempted to think, are we not, that Islam is the strongest kid on the block. When you hear that story of Somalia, you think, does the church in Somalia, the Christian church in Somalia, think that it's the triumphant and great thing that God is doing in the earth? Well, we're told at the end of this chapter that the Father gave all the power, all the power in the universe into the hands of his Son so that the Son could create the church and bring her to the fullness that God has planned. But sometimes you think it's all a bit far-fetched. You get in your car... You, you drive along the A432, you drive past people on uh, blokes in their lycra, cycling to enjoy the beautiful countryside of Chessington and Surbiton. You, you come past the pubs and the clubs and the parks and the, the houses and the terrace houses and the detached houses, and you, drive, you come to a, a little cul-de-sac, and partway down the cul-de-sac is, you know, a modest-sized church. With no car park. Can it be that the people who turn up to this little chapel are part of the mighty thing that Ephesians chapter 1 is describing? Well, thankfully, as I mentioned last week, God has given us a living example in, in the history of the world of how this kind of thing works. He chose a people called the Israelites. They were, they, they were the focus of the Father's purposes. They didn't look much. They were a nation of downtrodden slaves. They were economic migrants who had been enslaved as slave laborers in Egypt. They, he rescued them from his own judgment on the night of the Passover when lambs died and their blood saved the Jews. Then he led them. That's what the, that's what the lambs did. The lambs brought them salvation from judgment. And then he led them through the desert by being present among them in a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. The glory cloud led them through the desert and brought them to a promised land, their inheritance. Father chose, lamb saved, spirit dwelt and led. And for a few years after that, God's people lived in God's place under God's rule until they spoiled it all with their idolatry. But it is a picture of the thing that is coming to completion and perfection in the New Testament church. The Father chose to choose a church as the focus of his purposes. The Lamb of God was slain so that the, the judgment of God might, might not bring us to everlasting hell. And this morning we look at this. The Spirit comes to live in the church and lead her to her inheritance. So 
we're, we're trying to describe, I'm trying to get a handle on, do we have God's view of the church? As we sit here this morning, as we've sat here, some of us many times before, is this our view of the church? Do we cherish the church in the same way as the Apostle Paul did in Ephesians chapter 1? It's the focus of the Father's purposes. It's the, the, it's the focus also of the Son's purchase, the purchase of the Son's passion. And this morning, it's, it's the locus, L-O-C-U-S. It's the locus of the Spirit's work. Oh, under this, and that was the, probably the longest sermon introduction you ever want to hear until the Lord comes or calls. Um, the first point I want to make then is the Spirit is God's seal of ownership. Spirit is God's seal of ownership. Verses 11 and 12. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. It's a little marvelous joining up of Jew and Gentile here. The Jews were the first to hope in Christ, and then those Jews, like the Apostle Paul, went out into the whole of Europe to preach Christ and him crucified, coming to Turkey and, and then planting this church in Ephesus. And the sign that, that that was a reality was that God's Spirit came to live in their lives and in their congregation. The presence of the Holy Spirit is a seal you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. One of the things I remember as a lad doing was going to the Roxy Cinema in Oldham. It was six pence, six old pence, I tell you, two and a half pence in today's money to go to the pictures. A friend of mine said yesterday, have you been to the pictures recently? It was 19 pounds. Could buy a car for that when I were a lad. We used to go to the Roxy Cinema in Oldham. And one of the things I used to like seeing were the, the westerns that we saw, the cowboys and the, these tough, strong men would ride a horse. They would bring a, a cow down or a bull down to the earth. They'd jump out, hold it down, and somebody would get a brand from the, from the flaming hot flames, red hot brand, and would put it on the flank of this poor animal, and it would have four X's or bar T on its flank, and that was a seal. It was saying, this cow belongs to me. It's a bar T cow. Or it's a 4X cow. Keep your hands off it. It's mine. It's for my use. Well, in a slightly, that's a seal, you see. It says, it's mine. In a slightly less spectacular example, was my job at the bank where I worked in Piccadilly, Manchester. I went to work in a bank when I was... 16 years of age, I was a bank clerk. And uh, one of the jobs that I had to do was to seal the registered letters. I was so important. You're hardly going to believe this, but coming out of the wall of the bank was a small brass tube with a tap on it. Turn the tap, it released gas. 
at, at head height. And then you ignited it with a lighter and a, a jet flame came out towards you. And then while you're trying not to burn your face off, you had to pick up a, a, a tube, a long stick of wax. You placed it carefully in the flame, getting the, the registered envelope. You're, you're, you wanted to hear this for so long, haven't you? You, you got your registered letter, which you'd see put down. You'd, you'd licked it and put it down. And where the, where the, the uh, folding thing came over and met the envelope, you, you created a small pool of molten wax. And then before it had a chance to harden, you took the bank seal and you placed it on the wax pool. It left a perfect impression of the bank's logo. It was saying this letter was put together by a very important person. And it belongs to the National Bank Limited. Well, as you, I've forgotten what I was talking about now. As you, as you, as you begin to understand the gospel that Jesus is Lord and that he died to bring you forgiveness and adoption into God's family, something absolutely remarkable happens. The spirit of the God who made the universe comes to make his dwelling inside your spirit. His spirit testifies witnesses with your spirit that you are a child of God. He begins to work in your heart to bring understanding to your mind, to bring an affection for Jesus Christ into your, into your passions, into your affections. He comes to make you willing to search the scriptures and to live in obedience with the, to the living God and his word. The Holy Spirit is doing those things. It can only happen in the human spirit. Through the Holy Spirit's work, it all amounts to the beginning of a living relationship with God. Now, you may be at the beginning with this. You may not know anything of this. It may be that you can't really understand what's happening to you. You're not sure if it's weird or wonderful, but something has begun to stir in your heart in connection with Jesus Christ and his gospel. Your conscience is becoming more sensitive. You're even sensitive and concerned about the kind of thoughts you have. Something is coming to life in connection with Jesus and the Bible. It may well be, my friend, this morning that the Holy Spirit is branding you as a child of God. He's coming to your heart and to your mind and saying, I want you to trust Christ and my presence in you, the spirit living in you, is a seal that you belong to the living God. God is saying when he puts his spirit into your life, this man, this woman, this teenager is mine. You could always tell who the Jews were in the desert. They were the ones with a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day that was either resting in the midst of the camp or was going ahead of them to lead them to the promised land. Well, on the day of Pentecost, 2,000 years ago, on a special Sunday morning, the Lord Jesus, King Jesus, in the glory of heaven, on his Father's throne, sent the Spirit from heaven to dwell in his church. And the first apostles saw tongues like fire resting on each one of them. It was the branding of the first Christians. It was the seal of God saying, these are my people and I am their God.
ever coming alive to Jesus Christ in a new way, being alive in a new way. My friends, do you want to know how special the church is to God? He chose it, he redeemed it, and he lives in it. Now look around, if you want to look around, look at these people who are gathered here this morning. They don't look much. Take my word from it. I'm in a vantage point here. You're an odd bunch, to say the least. You're nearly as odd as those people down at the King's Church in Chessington. A church is composed of odd people. Not many mighty, not many noble, not many wealthy, not many important. God chose the weak and the despised things of the world to confound the mighty. Well, this is how special the church of God is. He chose it, he redeemed it, and he lives in it. God, whose spirit fills every part of the mighty universe, the God who knows every atom, every thought of every person, the God who can stretch galaxies through the sky, lives in your heart if you're a Christian. And he lives in a congregation of people like this. Together, spirit is God's seal of ownership. He's saying, those Christians at Hook, they belong to me and I love them. Secondly, the spirit is our guarantee of ownership. Spirit is our guarantee of ownership. Verse 14 says, who is the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Just as the presence of the glory cloud in the camp of Israel was a sure sign that Israel was being led by the Lord to the promised land, the presence of the Spirit in a Christian or in a Christian church shows that we're on our way to that new universe that God is making, a new heavens and a new earth that will be the home of righteousness. The Apostle Peter puts it like this. We have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Guarantee. If I have the spirit in me, it's God's guarantee that everything else belongs to me in the future. I hope there aren't any Scots here. If there are, I'm going to risk offending you, you know. I do like it, though. One New Year's Eve many years ago, we were living in Moore Lane, Chessington. New Year's Eve. And a Scotsman called at the front door of my house. I invited him in. He said he was desperately in need to go to the north, to Glasgow, to see his old mother before she passed away. She was really very poorly and he needed to go and see his mum. Could I, could I possibly lend him the money for the fair and he would be sure to pay me back in the new year when his money came in? Well, I wasn't sure what to do. I was a youngish minister. It was the season of goodwill, Christmas, New Year. I thought, should I give him the money? I thought about it. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the money for the fair if you will leave your watch with me as a guarantee that you'll come back and repay me. He said no and walked out. And as he was walking down the drive of our house, he did a very strange thing. He reached underneath my car and he pulled out a snooker cue. I think he was not going to play snooker with his dying mother 
in Glasgow. I think he was going down to the club for a pint and a pie. Um, but he wouldn't give me the watch as a guarantee. He was rather irritable. Guarantees are so important in many areas of life. The giving of a guarantee is a sealing of a promise. You see, look, I'm making you this promise. I'm giving you this now, and I'll give you the rest um, in the future. But my wife and I decided to go carless. We've decided never again to have a car. We've tried it for a few weeks, and now the other week, I, I ordered a car. It's a little French car. You've never seen one in your life, I don't think. It's, it's a two-seater electric car made by Citroën. It's the strangest-looking car you've ever seen. Well, I've put a deposit on it. It's a deposit guaranteeing that when the French deliver the, the rest of the, the, the car, not the rest of it, but when, when they deliver the car to Walton-on-Thames, I will turn up and I will pay the balance. That's what it means. It said, I've made this promise, and I, I promise to buy this car. I give you this money as a guarantee that when the car comes, I will pay the rest. That's what it's about. I suppose that's what an engagement ring's about. It's saying, I give you this ring as a token and pledge that when the day comes, I will marry you. God made an incredible promise to the people who put themselves into a position of trusting Jesus as Lord. He says to them, they will inherit the kingdom. When there is a new heavens and a new earth, the home of righteousness, where there'll be no more tears, no crying, no pain, no death, no sickness, but only beauty and perfection. That bright new world he's planned will be ours. We will enjoy it for eternity. We'll be in the presence of the Lord Jesus in a new paradise. But the presence in my spirit and the presence in your spirit is God's deposit. I'm going to give you that in the future. And here's my spirit, which is the down payment, the deposit. It's truly amazing privilege. God doesn't give us a thing. He gives us himself. So I give you my spirit, the guarantee that the future inheritance eternal inheritance that no man can imagine it's never entered into the mind or heart of man the things that god has prepared for those who love him it's yours so the holy spirit begins to work in your life to help you to understand the gospel help you to understand the scriptures to draw you to trust and begin to love jesus holy spirit begins to give you a, an affection even for the christian church the church is the community of people who know the spirit together. I'm sure many of you have had this experience. You've met somebody on a train or in a bus or in a cafe or somewhere, somewhere in the world and you felt there was something about them. There was a correspondence of spirit. There was a meeting that was more than, than mind and heart level. There was something spiritual. You say, are you a Christian? And, and it's turned out that they were a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you have had that marvellous experience. I was, uh, when I had kidney problems, I went into to, to, to George's, St. George's Hospital so that a young 20-odd-year-old woman could come with a long needle and stick it through my back and take a bit of my kidney out. And uh, I was sitting there in bed one night in this mixed ward, there were only eight of us, there were several women and a few men. And the, the lady over the, the far corner, I think she was an Afro-Caribbean lady, she looked over at me at 11 o'clock at night as I was trying to get to sleep, and she said, excuse me, are you, this is loud, loud she, are you a man of God? 
I looked round her hoping she was talking about somebody else. I had to own up. I was a man of God. There was something in her spirit that recognized something in my spirit. It was given together. And this is why we belong to the church. We want to keep in step with the Holy Spirit together. We want to sit under God's word and, and hear his voice by the Holy Spirit together. We want to lift up our voices in praise together because we belong to the same community of spiritual life. You've been given the greatest guarantee, my friend, if you're a Christian this morning and the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. You've been given the greatest guarantee of the greatest inheritance it's possible to have. And so you should be deeply passionate about your fellow travelers who are being led by the same spirit to the same promised land. How easily we treat the church like a spare part to be picked up and tossed aside, to be trampled upon with our intemperate criticisms and our bad behavior and our bad thinking and our bad mouthing. How easily we we undermine the church of Christ, the bride of Jesus. How easy we find it to treat the church as the world treats a supermarket or a football club. We need help. We need the clarity of scripture to truly, deeply appreciate what the church looks like to God himself. Do you feel that you've got a grasp on that at all? Is that your perspective? It's the focus of the Father's purposes. It's the purchase of the Son's passion. It's the locus of the Spirit's presence. Let's pray together. Eternal Father, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here at Hook. I thank you that our association goes back many, many years. I thank you for the blessing that this church has been to me and my family for the support and encouragement that people have granted to me over the years. And it's all been because of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for that. And uh, thank you for Brian Edwards, Pete Woodcock, and for Paul Pease, for Tim, and for those who worked here. I bless you for their fellowship in the gospel. And I pray your blessing, Heavenly Father, upon this people of God, I pray that the best might yet to be. We pray that you will add to their number those who are being saved. I pray that you will strengthen them in holiness and righteousness. I pray that they might be a, a city on a hill, a shining light in a dark place. Bless the church, I pray, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you, John, for your ministry both this week and last week. It's been a timely and a word in season, so thank you. Let's uh, close with uh, the grace to one another, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. <laughs>